0: Thanks for listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. My name's Rick Zamperin. Lots to talk about today. It's Bullying Awareness Week, and it's taking on a greater significance in Hamilton schools following the murder of Devin Selvey. Ford unveiling its first all-electric SUV, and it's a Mustang. And Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell has unleashed his winter forecast, and it's looking a little bleak.
1: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML.
0: This is an important week in uh, Hamilton education it's bullying awareness week and it's uh, understandably and rightfully so taking a greater significance in Hamilton schools following the stabbing death of Devin Selvey last month as we all know a 14 year old was stabbed outside his high school uh, and mother his mother says uh, you know he had been bullied since the first day of school bullying was a factor in this case well the Hamilton Wentworth uh, District School Board has a number of initiatives planned for students, uh, parents, and staff this week. So let's uh, get the latest greatest on what's happening here. Uh, Manny Figueroa is the Director of Education at the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board and joins us now on the Scott Thompson Show. Manny, how are you today?
2: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Not too bad. Uh, uh, we know that you joined Bill Kelly earlier on uh, in the day, and thanks for doing that. Uh, this is uh uh, more or less a different audience. We wanted to get this important topic out to them as well. So what what's going on this week? What do we have planned?
2: Well, as you identified the beginning, it is a bullying awareness week. And um, so in light of uh, the great attention this important topic has had in Hamilton, we decided that we would really look at this week and, and really enhance um, what we're doing for our, our students and staff. So um, we uh, are drawing more attention to this issue and, and we've provided some targeted classroom activities for teachers to consider, to, to integrate, uh, to help facilitate this, um, uh, this important topic. We've also provided um, some, uh, we've, we've rebranded again our, our, our app. We know the importance of uh, students having an opportunity to anonymously report situations of, of bullying. And uh, we've also um, provided a dedicated website. So all our resources are in in a one-stop location on this important topic. One thing we've heard is about how do we, you know, access these resources that the boards uh, have provided. And and, and you'll also see there's a communication package that we sent out to all schools this week with some information going home as well for parents to remind them around some of these these tools. Not only about to identify if your child might be... um, detecting if your child is being bullying, but also the important topic if could my child actually, you know, be bullying others as well. We need to have the conversations at both ends.
0: And in regards to um, some of the things that uh, will be unleashed on uh, parents uh students and teachers there's, there's a lot of things that you are going to be doing as a board uh, in this week including i mean not only classroom activities which i know goes on from time to time and talking with the students but this is going to be focusing on bullying prevention and intervention uh, which is an important part of this discussion as
2: well uh, absolutely we um part of one of our initiatives has always been um around the caring adult. So if I can give you some data that our students have provided, and we have to respond to. In 2017-18 school year, we do this survey every two years, and we know the importance of healthy relationships and students feeling they have a caring adult to, to intervene on their behalf when necessary. What was interesting in the data, our grade four to six students across our district, 55% of them said, I actually feel, identify, have a caring adult I can turn to. Uh, for these uh, challenging conversations. And from grade 7 to 12, 40% of the students said they felt they had someone they could turn to in the school. So, of course, when we look at that data, I know all our educators, our teachers, educational assistants, DCs, our office administrators, they care about kids. But how we maybe define caring might not be the same way our students may define caring. So one of the strategies we've already had in place that we're embedding in staff meetings throughout the year is this uh, some research around what it means to actually do emotion coaching. And someone said to me, what does that mean? Like when you say emotion coaching, well, I'll use the example. I have a 20- and 18-year-old son. I have a 20-year-old son, 18-year-old daughter. And sometimes what I think I might be caring when I'm telling them what they need to do and problem solve for them, they don't always walk away and say, geez, my dad was so caring in that moment. So we know from some of the research in the adolescent brain that when students are feeling um, sense of anxiety and high emotion, what they want someone to do at the moment is listen. Listen and validate what is exactly they're experiencing and what are they worried about. And then we know from the research, uh, the frontal part of our brain, our, our lid flips. We're in a high emotional state. We're not listening to any suggestions. So how do you validate, listen, close that lid, and then start to brainstorm possible solutions? So we talked about that. We can all do that. You don't need to be a clinician to do that, but that's one of the most important things because if our kids don't feel there's someone listening to validate what their issues are, they're not going to be listening to the solutions that we might be providing them.
0: Our guest is Manny Figueroa, Director of Education at the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. We're talking about Bullying Awareness Week to kick off the Scott Thompson Show on 900-CHML. Rick in for Scott today. Um, The educational package for parents um, will provide information on how to report bullying. So is anything going to change in that regard? How is bullying reported now, and how may it change down the road?
2: So part of the package will show um, that there's multiple ways students can report and what we're sending home is a reminder. There's an app that we've, we have. Uh, it's called HWDSB helps. And it's an anonymous app. It's reminding parents uh, and children that they can download this anonymous app. And that anonymous app allows them to report via email, uh, via text, or via phone call. So as staff change in our district and we have new students coming in and out of our system, we thought it's important that everyone will get this magnet to go home To remind people around that there is a tool. However, we also encourage people. You know, the face-to-face is always an an opportunity uh, there to report, and to uh, and then so our our staff can also try to respond. But um, we're also going to be encouraging some learning around what it means to be, you know, a bystander. The research is pretty astonishing. That about 75% of people throughout their lifetime actually report that they've been bullied. 90% 90% of the times when a student is bullied, there's usually a classmate or peer present. And the research says about 57% of the time, if someone intervenes in the moment, um, more than half of these incidents just disappear and the bullying stops. So how do you sort of um, respond in a safe way in the moment as adults? But also how do we empower our students when they see something um, where a child or a colleague or a student classmate is feeling um, mistreated or bullied, how do we help them intervene in, in a safe way? So those are some of the things we're reminding uh, throughout the activities this week.
0: Do we know why there is a, a disconnect in terms of you know when a bullying incident happens and another student either witnesses it or intervenes and it's not reported? Is it the fact that they don't want to be a quote unquote rat? Uh, they they don't maybe they feel that they'll get in trouble. Where's the disconnect there? Do we know?
2: Well, I, I think you've identified a few of them there, Rick. Um, you know, I, I talk to parents and even myself as a parent sometimes saying, you know, you, you have to be the voice of others. But how many times do we say, mind your own business, be safe. I don't want you to get hurt or involved. Um, so how do you encourage students to do that? I think another way is to what's make made it more complex is the, the online world we live in. You know, growing up, always educate, you know, I was always educated about how to intervene, how to stand up for yourself in the physical world. What does that look like now with cyberbullying? A lot of these issues that occur that, that make their way into classrooms and schools that our educators are dealing with have happened in the cyber world, from something that happened on a weekend to an evening event, and, to, and the complexity of that is very challenging because um, kids who are feeling, uh, you know, how many likes they have or don't have or how they're being bullied online has a huge impact on their well-being, so, and we don't always have access to all that information, so it is, it is becoming a lot more complex. But I can tell you, uh, when we can engage some of the leaders in our school, uh, the students who do have voice and who have uh, some power and privilege, if they step forward, um, it's amazing how the other kids will step forward. And we've seen examples when students have said, okay, enough is enough. We're going to take an active role and we're, and we're going we're to call it up when we see it in, in a respectful way and make sure our adults are there to support us. It makes a difference.
0: We only have a couple minutes left with Manny Figueredo, Director of Education at the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Scott today. We're talking about uh, Bullying Awareness Week. I'm all about measurables. I love statistics, but I want to see how they're measured. So at the end of the day, after this week, maybe even after this school year, what are the measurables that are going to tell us that this approach, this new policy, this revamped uh, uh, initiative is going to translate into fewer bullying, or at least fewer reported bullying incidents, because those are the only ones we know about. What are some of the measurables you're hoping to see? Well,
2: here's one measurable sort of contrary to what you just said i'm actually hoping that as a result of this campaign this week and the bullying prevention awareness that we're actually going to see more students stepping up and actually reporting it when you draw more attention to an issue what you tend to see is more people talking about it reporting it um but one of the legging measures i'm hoping to see around the caring adult is our student survey uh, will be done again this march march of 2020 and I'm hoping to see that that percentage of the number of students who say, I actually identified um, a caring adult, will increase from the results of two years ago. Because one of the what the research comes back to over and over is that when students have positive relationships in their life, caring adults, they're less likely to be victims of bullying.
0: And I know there's a three-member panel looking at this entire issue as well. How is that panel going to uh, uh, input or, or or effect what's going on this week and, and for the rest of the school year?
2: So, yeah, so that panel, we're, we're actually really excited about that panel. But, um, they'll be arm's length from the, from the board, but they're going to, uh, they've just been approved by the board of trustees a week ago. Um, they're going to be meeting then, and there'll be a communication plan in December in terms of how will they engage to listen to stakeholders. So the mandate from our board of trustees is that they're going to listen and have face-to-face engagement opportunities and online for parents to state um, how things have been working in terms of reporting, responding, prevention, intervention. Also, they need to speak to our students. Our students are going to be key in telling us what's working, what's not working, and why. And they're going to also be speaking to our, our staff and our key community partners who work with us. The expectation is those uh, recommendations will come to the board in May. But, Rick, I, I really believe that the recommendations will be tri-level. When i say that there are going to be some things that we can do better as a board but i also believe there's going to be some recommendations there because bullying is a community issue what are some things we as a community and families and parents have to take on as well as, as we deal with this important issue and then there probably should be some recommendations that will be provincial i've spoken to the deputy minister of education and the minister of education and they welcome some of the feedback Uh, because we believe some of the recommendations will be to the ministry in terms of maybe how to direct some policies or how maybe school boards are resourced uh, to address this issue. So by the end of May, we hope to have these recommendations, and uh, uh, we're actually looking forward to taking a leadership role on behalf of the province on this important topic.
0: Manny, thanks for the time today. Uh, Good luck with this battle. It's not an easy one. We know it's going to be a slow roll at times, but it's an important thing that uh, we do have to tackle in our society, not just schools, but society in general. Uh, Again, appreciate the time.
2: Thank
1: you very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Ford has unveiled its first all-electric SUV, and it's rubbed me the wrong way. And I'll tell you why, just before we bring in our next guest here. What is the most iconic muscle car in the history of humankind? Well, to me, it's the Ford Mustang. I once owned a Ford Mustang at an 89 Mustang LX, two-door hatch, gray paint, red interior. Phenomenal car. And now, Ford is making an all-electric SUV, and it's a Mustang. They are taking the most iconic muscle car and making it into a family-friendly, economically-environmentally-friendly vehicle. I guess it's just the life and times that we live in right now. Well, let's bring in our next guest. He's an automotive journalist extraordinaire. His name is Jim Kenzie, and he joins us now on The Scott Thompson Show. Jim, how are you?
1: Hi, hey, Rick. Well, I'm, I'm as uh, uh, outraged as you are. I, I jotted a few notes down before we came on the air, and I, my first line was, mustang name taken in vain
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and i'm glad that you feel this way and i had the feeling that you were going to feel this way because uh, to me mustang means muscle car and don't mess with it
1: exactly and uh, that's only one of the many things wrong with this whole project um the thing i keep asking people who are big fans of electric cars a two-part question part one how much gasoline do we burn every year? Part two, where are we getting that much electricity? It simply does not exist. If it did exist, how are we getting it to the people who need it? If you're the only guy on your block with an electric Mustang or a Tesla or pick one, you're fine. We found out in Toronto about five or six years ago, what happens how robust our electrical infrastructure is. One ice storm made the city black for six days. Let's plug 400,000 cars into that every night and see what happens.
0: (laughs) Not to mention the cost of which to do so.
1: The point is the city burns to the ground, and uh, we simply don't have the electric infrastructure. The other issue that nobody seems to want to talk about it's, well, I'll ask you the question. Here, I'm asking you the question for a mm. change. What percentage of the pollution in our country is caused by automobiles?
0: Uh, I'll just throw a number out there. I'll say uh,
1: 30%. 11%, according wow. to Environment Canada, the official tree huggers of the federal government. <laughs> 11%. So if tomorrow every car in the country were powered by the sheer might of Elon Musk's ego, and if we could harness that, we'd be in good shape, 89% of the problem would still be here. What are we doing about um, cement manufacture, which is right up there, by the way? Agriculture, they're both in the 30 35% range. Those are the big killers. Cars simply aren't the problem. And they're getting better every year, because as the 15-year-old car is eventually scrapped and replaced with a newer one, the newer one's 10 times, 100 times cleaner than the one it's replaced. So the, the whole business of electric cars, it's being driven primarily by China, because they can afford to flood 700,000 people out of their homes to build another hydroelectric dam. We don't have that freedom here, Some oddly enough, and even in China, the guy that spearheaded the, the Chinese move to electric cars that said the long-term future is hydrogen fuel cells, which is anybody who has an engineering background, as I happen to have, uh, understands that that's the only long-term solution. Hydrogen is eventually going to be the answer. So uh, this whole thing is just they're trying to capitalize on a couple of, of media uh, darlings here, the Mustang, for all the reasons you just mentioned, and this whole business of battery-powered cars. Uh, they're, they're claiming a 475-kilometer range, which is pretty good in the summer if you're not climbing hills and you don't have your heater on, which you wouldn't in the summer. In the wintertime here in Canada, you're not going to get 475 kilometers, whereas in my diesel Jetta, I'm going to get 1,000 kilometers every day of the week. So, um, yeah, it's, um, they're, they're capitalizing on a, on a media-friendly, hot topic, and bastardizing the name of Mustang in the process. So I'm with you on that one hundred percent. So
0: why the rush to go electric from the automaker's standpoint? If they know that uh, you know at the end of time, this is not uh, you know the be all and end all even environmentally. Uh, you know, Oshawa has been impacted by this with the plant, the GM plant shut down there because they want to uh, you know, uh, change course in terms of the the type of vehicles they want to provide. What's the appeal? We don't see a mass amount of electric vehicles out there right now.
1: Well, is, the, the is, interesting thing about the GM thing is that in that same announcement where they closed the, the Oshawa plant, they also announced the cancellation of the Volt, which was GM's electric car. Right. Well, it was that hybrid electric, uh, but still. So they, they're they kind of playing both sides of the, uh, of the deck at the same time on, on that one. Uh, again, China is the driver. China's now the largest car market in the world. And uh, the other issue we have worldwide is that our leaders are lawyers, not engineers. (laughs) And that's because, again, it's it's a personal thing with me. But still, they don't understand the technology. Uh, They don't understand the science uh, behind the automobile and how much cleaner the car has become. Uh, The biggest impact a car has on the environment is not the operation of it, It's the manufacture of it, and the longer you can make a car last, the better that is for the environment, which is why I'm a big proponent of diesel engines, which typically can get a a million kilometers if they're properly maintained, and if you don't have to replace the car, that's the best thing you can do for the environment.
0: We're chatting with automotive journalist Jim Kenzie here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott today. Um, Ford Mustang all-electric SUV, who is that screaming to? Who's the target market?
1: Well, that's a good question. I I guess the uh, the, the other manufacturers, Mitsubishi has a a, a partial hybrid electric, uh, PH, I forget the terminology to use, kind of the suburban mom who's maybe taking their kids to school, shopping back and forth, maybe going 100 kilometers a day, tops um, in and out uh, of the city, and uh, who's somebody who needs or thinks they need the, the space. Um, you often see these massive SUVs with mom and one kid in the back seat. They could do that in a Miata. <laughs> a big, flippin' truck. But um, that's the way the, the, the market's going. And that's another one of the ironies. Everybody's preaching fuel efficiency, but everybody wants massive, um, you know, three thousand kilogram trucks, um, which they don't need. But it's um, not a matter of what you need; it's a matter. of what you want. Um, so they're, they're they're trying to target that um, that suburban uh, suburban shopping, um, school run kind of family. Um, but that same family also wants to use that SUV to. Uh, drive to Winnipeg for the family vacation. And that's going to be an eight-hour stop every six hours or so to recharge your batteries. So um, I, I, I frankly don't see it. I just don't quite understand where the market is. And, of course, the cars, electric cars, simply won't sell without massive government subsidies, which is another one of my favorite hobby horses. If I'm my taxes are paying for one-seventh of that car, surely I get to drive it one day a week. <laughs> That's only fair, right?
0: Exactly. The Mustang name certainly has some great appeal. So instead of creating something new, the Ford whatever, uh, they're trying to capitalize on the Mustang brand, right? I don't know if it's going to work, but that's that's what I see from you know ten thousand feet up.
1: Well, uh, Lee Iacocca would be turning in his grave, yeah. and figure out what to turn it in for. Um, yeah, he, he basically took a Ford Falcon, put a two-door body on it, and created the most iconic brand uh, in the automobile but it's uh, it, it's a brand that I I'm really kind of disappointed that they're tinkering with they want to build an electric uh, SUV you go right ahead but calling it a Mustang that's uh, that just rubs me the wrong way as well just exactly for the same reasons you mentioned
0: how do you think this is going to sell
1: um, it'll be the same as any electric car um, if there's enough subsidies on it there'll be a few people that will buy it Electric cars, everybody likes to point to Norway, where they have 30% of the market. But, of course, Norway, they call them the blue-eyed Arabs in Norway, right? (laughs) They take their North Sea oil, sell it to everybody else so they can pollute their local environment, and use the money to build electric infrastructure. Uh, And, of course, in Norway, you either live in Oslo or you live in Bergen. You only have about 70 or 80 kilometers you can go without uh, packing a lunch. So, um, And still... 70% of the market is non-electric. And that's the other thing about electric cars. People are defining 25% as winning. 25% of cars are going to be electrified by 2025. Well, next week, if Hamilton scores 25 points and Winnipeg scores 75 points, they're not giving the Grey Cup to the Tiger (laughs) Cats. No, they're not. (laughs) Just saying,
0: so. <laughs> One more point on this topic. Uh, Ford and GM have announced plans for all electric pickups that they hope will compete with uh, the traditional gas and diesel models. Uh, if you're a pickup truck driver, I'm not sure if you want to go the electric route. Just the stigma.
1: Well, there's there's that. Um, try selling an electric pickup to a rancher in, in Alberta. Um, I, I think that's going to be a, a bit of a tough sell. And that's, you know, my, my sister used to live in Calgary for many years, and she used to come east and say, people still drive cars here? because <laughs> Out west, it's all trucks. And, uh, again, I think they'll find, you know, a 10% share of the market um, because there's going to be a few people for whom the electric will make a certain amount of sense. But the, the Baker Electric went out of business in 1914 because of range and availability issues. And frankly, in 115 years, whatever it's been since, uh, I haven't seen a huge amount of change.
0: Jim, appreciate the time. Always love reading your stuff, uh, whether it's online or in print, uh, motoring TV or one of the icons of that program. Really appreciate the time again today.
1: My pleasure, Rick. Anytime. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
2: It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Toys in it. too early,
0: man. Just just a little too early. For in December, I can stomach this. But just like the Ford Mustang all-electric SUV, no! (laughs) Stop it. Yes, it is looking a little like Christmas, at least with the snow on the ground. And there is still plenty of that here in the Hamilton area, thanks to that last winter storm that rushed through our region, impacted many across uh, southern Ontario, and, uh, well, it looks like uh, well, we all know winter is coming. That is a fact. What the winter is going to look like remains to be seen. But we will get a ton of information coming up today with Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell, who joins us on the program to talk about his winter forecast that's coming today. Anthony, how are you?
3: Hey, Scott. I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty well. It's It's been a busy start to this season for sure. And you mentioned the snow. Um, it is, uh, yeah, still hanging on uh over a week now after that that storm
0: moved through how do you compile a winter forecast i mean it's probably hard enough to do uh winter forecasting day by day or week to week now we're looking months in advance what goes into this
3: well, it, it is a complicated uh, ordeal, and there is definitely room for error. And the longer you go out in time, the bigger that error can be. So uh, what we do is we, we look at these different computer models. Uh, we have models that have really advanced incredibly over the last decade or so when it comes to uh, hourly forecasting. And even your five- and seven-day forecasts that you'd see on TV or the, on your phone, they have become very accurate. And uh, what we're dealing with with these longer-term, two, three, four-month uh, models, they basically use a lot of the same data, but they uh, are looking out further in time. And and of course, as, as that happens, well, the numbers can be off and we can get more errors. But there is consensus this year with a lot of these models, and that's something that increases our confidence.
0: So with technology, it's become much easier to forecast longer down the line?
3: Yes. And, and I say easier, that may be a bit of a stretch, but uh, at least there's more <laughs> more information out there, more to look at. And then it's our job as meteorologists to figure out, okay, what model do we believe? Uh, We have biases in certain years. There's um, consensus uh, I mentioned, but not all models agree. And then, of course, we just look at, at water temperatures and weather patterns in November to try and, and analog, okay, in past years with this setup, what happened in December? What happened in January through March? And, and that's something we look at, too, and we give that quite a bit of weight with these seasonal forecasts.
0: Uh, your full winter forecast is going to be unleashed uh, tonight on Global News at 5.30 and 6. So what, what can you tell us? What can we expect this winter?
3: well we we are seeing this milder pattern, and it can't get much colder in relation to normal than the first half of November. I do think we uh, across much of Southern Ontario breaking records for the coldest first half of November. And that's saying something because records in many cities go back uh, over a hundred years. So we're not at that level I do actually see some milder days ahead and that's some good news a lot of people got caught off guard they still have raking to do I still have half my furniture out there to bring in so yeah we're going to have a chance we're going to see some uh, drier days and some milder temperatures in this back and forth pattern for the next few weeks and I think that'll last into December where we're not quite into that cold just yet that that will happen sometime either just before or right around Christmas when I think it really locks in.
0: I think last year- Last year at this time, and we're chatting with uh, Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Scott today. Uh, Last year at this time, we were talking about, you know, we should expect a classic, quote unquote, a a classic Canadian winter. Is that more the same of what we're going to see? Yeah, I think I, I if anything,
3: our confidence this year is is higher for that to occur. And it's really the combination of cold that uh, is going to be centered on our side of the pole. And, and likely this polar vortex you hear of is going to make an appearance from time to time. So we're going to see uh, quite a bit of cold. And then, of course, you have lake effect snow with the Great Lakes still unfrozen. That's one aspect. But I also see an active storm track coming out from the Midwest and the southern U.S. So all of that combining over southern, Ontario really increases our confidence that uh, snow is going to be abundant this year, and that uh, we're already off to, to that great start when it comes to snow. And I say great because I, I am a skier, I'm a meteorologist as well, and, and I love to see the snow.
0: I don't mind the snow when it's a, a day off work, but uh, when, when, when people have to trudge into work, you know, that's the last thing you want to see on the ground, especially if you haven't gotten your winter tires on yet. What I know, a lot of people were surprised by that dumping that we got uh, uh, just recently, that uh, they, they didn't ha- make the change yet, and they were they were caught off guard. You mentioned, yeah, I uh,
3: hear that there's still week to two week delays at most <laughs> most of the different garages, so a lot of people caught off guard, and, and it is unusual. The fact that the snow uh, fell to the levels it did, how much we got, but also the fact that this was over a week ago and it's still on the ground. So uh, it has been cold, and and that is why I, I do see things easing off before that uh, chill rebuilds and eventually makes its way back in here.
0: You mentioned earlier uh, analyzing water temperatures. Is that where the uh, El Nino or the La Nina, whatever the year is, uh, uh, comes into effect? Yes, definitely.
3: Those are the two most uh, familiar and and likely the widespread effects from El Nino and La Nina are are common around the globe. But there are other features in the water that we look at as well. So we're in a rather weak El Nino, and it's centered back over the middle of the Pacific. And even where the El Nino's, the warmer water is centered, has an effect on where that jet stream goes and and how cold or warm it is in, in our neck of the woods. But what we're also very intrigued by and looking at is this warm water just south of Alaska in the northwest Pacific that was a precursor to some of the cold winters like 2014-15 uh, that we had, and that's appearing again, and it looks to be even bigger and more widespread, so we're, we're trending towards uh, that same pattern.
0: I think all of our listeners shuddered when you uttered the words polar vortex, uh, so we're going to
3: see some of this again. Yeah, and the polar vortex uh, is, is, it's kind of misleading because it, it is always around. It has been a weather term for, for decades and where it positions itself often dictates how much cold arrives. And, um, what we are seeing though, and this is something that, that I have noticed myself and, and many other meteorologists is that with, whether it be climate change or just where we are in this, in this weather cycle, we're seeing more blocking, more of these locking in patterns that can lead to extremes, whether it be on the, hot side or the cold side and that polar vortex is kind of a byproduct of that when it goes further south than normal and then sticks around for a few days and yeah that that is entirely possible if not likely this winter
0: how big of an impact and how tricky does forecasting get when the great lakes are involved we're surrounded by these massive bodies of water and they really can change how our our weather uh, changes from day to day or week to week yeah,
3: they definitely can and uh, I'll I'll mention two things, Rick. One, uh, of course, these microclimates when you're surrounded by by water ha- play a role in the summer whether it be lake breezes and thunderstorms, but in the winter especially when these cold winds come across trying to time and and try and predict where these these bands, these very tiny bands that barely show up on radar are going to to move and and oscillate. That's one of the tougher forecasts that we do and that's why oftentimes it's easier to kind of blanket a a snow squall warning over a large area. But it also confuses our listeners and viewers because many of those residents don't end up with a squall condition. So that's tough to predict. I'm also, uh, with the Great Lakes around us, uh, concerned that with a snowy winter, and already they're at very high levels for this time of year, we could see a repeat of uh, a spring flood like we had on Lake Ontario last year.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that you know the GTA could have one kind of storm pass through. Uh, Hamilton-Burlington could have another. The Niagara region is totally different. It's just amazing. Amazing to see how the lake affects all of that.
3: Yeah, and, and with the storm track, I, I see it going up over the Appalachians and that favours more of these northeast and east winds and that means places like Hamilton, Burlington, over towards Grimsby and St. Catherine uh, end up with uh, with more snow because of where they're positioned on the lake and those cold highs that are overhead. So uh, yeah, this this overall setup is, is a snowy one and uh, maybe it's time to, to buy the snowblower or maybe... Buy the ski pass for the year because uh, I do think it's coming.
0: How much different is Ontario or the southern Ontario's weather going to be from other parts of the country? Are we all in the same boat or are we going to have a differing uh, winters uh, across this great country?
3: I, I do see differing winters. I, I think the cold will be widespread, or especially centered around the Great Lakes, but extending back through at least the the Western Prairies, so Manitoba or the Eastern Prairies rather, Manitoba and maybe into Saskatchewan. Once you get to Alberta, there's a ridge that goes all the way up to Alaska for most of this winter, and that'll keep Alaska warm. Maybe BC at or above normal with with drier conditions, and then perhaps Chinook winds for for places like calgary and maybe edmonton so they're going to be milder and then once you get to newfoundland maybe milder but in between i do predict this to be quite a cold winter and and i have agreement with uh with well farmers almanac with the weather channel weather network and and a lot of the u.s uh, forecasters as well so uh everybody's zoning in on this winter and and we can be wrong. I will. I will be humbled by that. But I, I do think we're, we're in the right direction with with the snow and cold that we've we've already had. We're
0: all hoping that you're all wrong this year. <laughs> I tell you, I'll just be honest. Uh, a quick glimpse at Christmas. Can we hammer out uh, hammer out whether it's going to be white or not? Or, or is it still dicey at this point?
3: Well, I, I've i never seen a a white Remembrance Day, so that was new for me. And uh, the fact that Christmas is still over a month away, uh, even all this mild air that I'm predicting the next few weeks doesn't mean we're not going to see snow return. I do think the timing, though, is going to be difficult because it, it this pattern change that I see going to cold happens sometime mid to late December. So it'll be, uh, I guess... The kids just got to stay tuned for that forecast because I'm not willing to predict that just yet.
0: All right. We will hang on to that and we'll look forward to that as well. And we'll also look forward to Global News at 5, 30 and 6 and we'll get uh, more details on your winter forecast. Anthony, appreciate the time as always today. All right. Thanks a lot, Rick. Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist, Global News with his winter forecast. And yeah, it's going to be cold. It's going to be snowy. It's going to be polar vortexy. Come on, give us a break. Why can't we have one winter? Maybe we have it for the last number of years, I just don't recall it, because of all these snowy, cold winters. Why can't we have a winter where it's just mild? And we'll get a little bit of snow, maybe, you know, minus 10, minus 15, being the coldest temperature of the winter season. Now that would be a winter to write home about.